0: Ready or not, crypto and the blockchain are here. On today's show, we'll be speaking to two women who have learned to embrace these technologies. First, we'll hear the story of Lauren Washington, a senior at Northwestern University who began selling art as NFTs. People are dropping so much money on these art
1: projects. And um, I got a collector very quickly, which was just so shocking. And it
0: was just like, what? (laughs) So that was really crazy. And later, we'll speak to the creator of the Audacity Fund, Erican Abote-Tukado, the new generation of the internet is being built right now by people from all over the world
2: and we said we don't want black people to be left out often for the majority of our time here in the u.s have contributed to the multi-billion dollar successes of various companies and people but have not benefited economically
0: from those contributions Welcome to Access and Opportunity. I'm your host, Carla Harris, and we're telling the stories of individuals working to drive change within their communities. We provide context about racial inequities and share tangible examples of how ideas around access and opportunity are being made real every day. On this episode, we look at the potential of blockchain technology to rewrite the rules of how money can be earned, transferred, and spent. Many people see cryptocurrency as the beginning of a new, more equitable financial system. One of those people is Lauren Washington. I
1: do photography, screenwriting, directing, any art form that can allow me to tell a story.
0: Lauren found her voice as an artist a few years ago.
1: It all started in high school for me. I used to have a lot of anxiety about what my purpose was. And it wasn't until senior year when I had this realization I love to tell stories. I think in my artwork, I've been exploring a lot of change and grief and, um, you know, my experience as a Black woman and kind of just the world um, and also just human behavior a lot of, you know, artists, especially for minority artists, it's hard to, you know, get those opportunities and be seen or have your work bought etc. et cetera. Within all creative industries, there's a lack of inclusion, lack of accessibility. I think it's just been very difficult as a woman, as a Black woman to be visible and find those opportunities, like on film sets, because I felt very pushed aside or just not... Like, my space mattered or my voice mattered.
0: When she ran into roadblocks in the pursuit of a traditional creative career, she turned to the blockchain. Now let's get this out of the way. Blockchain technology can be confusing. A blockchain allows information to exist across a network of computers in what's essentially a shared ledger or history book. The information stored there is virtually impossible to change or even delete And this has far-reaching implications across many industries. In the art world, the most innovative blockchain use case is with NFTs, or non-fungible tokens, which you might have noticed in the headlines already. So
1: I heard about NFTs in 2020, I think around the time of quarantine. And I started out kind of investing in crypto through a friend of mine. And it was interesting. I didn't really understand them, but I just saw a lot of artists I know like making... A lot of money from them, and I was just intrigued by that. And then there's just this one clubhouse room that I stayed in, like, all night. (laughs) I finally clicked.
0: Before now, Lauren thought the only way to make it as an artist was to know the right people to get her a coveted gallery spot. But with NFTs, the internet is her gallery, and there are no gatekeepers deciding who gets wall space and who gets left out. Instead, there's this rich online marketplace of art, all linked to digital tokens called NFTs that can be owned, bought and sold. For Lauren, this meant she was finally in business. The first one was uh, it was this like
1: picture of this like fishnet and it had it over my like my mouth and I like animated it to kind of move. And so that was my first NFT. And I called it
0: like cut me zero one. Once Lauren had her art ready, she added it to a blockchain by creating an NFT in a process called minting. So I made my first sale. I think, don't even remember what the price was, but (laughs) people are dropping so much money
1: on these art projects. And um, I got a collector very quickly, which was just so shocking. And it was just like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So that was really crazy. But yeah, that was kind of my first piece that I minted. And then I minted a couple more from that series. Learned a lot since then. It's definitely changing the way people put value into artists, you know, illustrators,
0: animators, painters, photographers. To date, Lauren has made up to $7,000 on a single sale. But better yet, she can make additional proceeds off of any future sales. You see, traditionally, an artist only makes money the first time they sell their art. With NFTs, the creator retains a degree of ownership and can earn a percentage every time the work is sold. Beyond the money, though, Lawrence found incredible value in the community she's now a part of. I've never been this in tune with so many artists.
1: And so that's been just really great to meet so many people. Just finding a lot of Black artists in this space and also just POC and people who are helping to build the new world and have equity in this space and diversity. You know, there's still problems with this space. So I think just really being intentional and being patient and find people who are really about it in this community because that's the best thing that it can offer. There's so many people who are willing to help but you really just have to find those right people who are still committed to making sure it's not the same as the traditional art world.
0: Lauren and many artists like her aren't just looking at NFTs as a new way to make money. To them, blockchain technology holds the promise to rebuild our institutions in a more equitable way. What exactly happens now is anyone's guess. But our next guest is another believer that the crypto revolution is coming. Erican Abotekudo is the founder of the Audacity Fund, a crypto VC fund investing in Black and African-led crypto startups. The group plans to invest up to $100,000 into pre-seed, seed, and Series A stage businesses that are leveraging blockchain technology with a focus on decentralized finance. She also leads Crypto for Black Economic Empowerment, a community of Black entrepreneurs in crypto. We sat down to discuss her work, what she sees as the value of cryptocurrency, and how her faith in blockchain technology comes from her personal life story. Eric Khan, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here with me today. Yes,
2: Carla, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be with you.
0: And it's such a pleasure for us to have you on the show. So let's jump right in. Are you ready? I'm ready. Come on. All righty. Can you tell our listeners what the Audacity Fund is, why you decided to do it, and how it differs from traditional VC funds? So Audacity
2: is a crypto venture fund that is investing in predominantly Black and African-led companies across the world. Our investment thesis is that with this new generation of the internet, we're actually in something called the earning economy. And so the earning economy is essentially saying... We think that anytime someone comes onto the internet and does whatever it is that they would do, spend their time, works on the internet, plays games on the internet, expresses their passion on the internet, tries to invest on the internet, they're going to get value back. They're going to get assets, crypto back on their various activities and usage of the internet. And the reason why that's important is because Black communities in particular in the U.S. specifically have often, for the majority of our time here in the U.S., have contributed to the multi-billion dollar successes of various companies and people, but have not benefited economically from those contributions. So we know that TikTok, for example, blew up in the United States last year. That's largely because of the creativity of young Black kids creating these amazing dances that the whole world wanted to consume. But they don't benefit from TikTok stock. So we want to actually invest in companies that are using culture as an interface to bring in the next 1 billion users while leveraging on the back end this more complicated, nuanced financial technology to really accelerate the value back to everyday people through their own cultural introduction to the opportunities we're building.
0: You know, that's a great point that I think ties to Lauren Washington's story about her entry into cryptocurrency through this technology of NFTs. So can you just tell us more about how NFTs fit into all of this?
2: I think uh, the NFT side will actually be the biggest accelerator for more cult communities and people because the financial side, we all have such, you know, sometimes we don't even see our barriers and blocks with literacy, with transactions and all those things. But when you're consuming something that you just would have consumed already, you're playing a game or you are reading an article and you know whatever the, the nuances, no one needs to know that the thing that you're accessing is an NFT, but the technologists do. And you just need to know you're accessing something that if you love this card, if you love this NBA moment, if you love this song, Carla's Christmas album, if you love that, then you can buy that just as you would of any other time. But now you have a piece of ownership shared with Carla on her album into perpetuity
0: forever. Oh, I like that. So before we get too far into our conversation, I want to back it up and learn more about you and your background. So where are you from originally and what got you into crypto?
2: Okay, so I am technically and originally from two places. I'm originally from Rancho Cucamonga, California. Shout out to Rancho. So the cul-de-sac with, you know, the Mexican family, the Chinese families, the Black families, that was where I grew up. And my family is originally from Nigeria. So I really felt like I grew up in an African house but in Rancho. Growing up in Rancho Cucamonga, you see so many different cultural groups. And when you enter their homes, you see how they interact with money in ways that are very intimate. And my family used to send money back uh, to Nigeria every single year when I was younger, remittances. And oftentimes the money would either get lost we would be unsure of what happened to the money. Sometimes it wouldn't properly get to the exact family member we wanted it to get to. So I learned of the problem that eventually crypto and blockchain was solving from a very early age and moving through all these houses, aka countries, and seeing how financial institutions, frankly, weren't serving my communities and seeing where the gaps were. Officially, though, I got into crypto by not being able to get in. So 2017, was when I had just come back from Nigeria and living in Nigeria where I really got exposed to some economic challenges there. But I was working at LinkedIn and all of my clientele were asset management, hedge fund, venture capital, private equity, managers, and executives. And at the same time, Bitcoin and Ethereum is bubbling amongst my Black Girl Magic professional networking group. And, you know, I'm having dinner with my girls and they're like, one girl was just saying, I just put 5K into Ethereum and boom, it's up. So you all should go figure this out and get in on this so you don't miss it. And long story short, I downloaded Coinbase and I actually wasn't able to get past KYC.
0: And for our listeners that may not know asset management, KYC is know your customer. It's critical in the wealth management and asset management business. Eric, let me let me just ask you, though, can you imagine what was it about about your trying to get into Coinbase that didn't allow you to, to pass KYC? Yeah. I mean,
2: to just be really transparent, I'm from Nigeria. And so in the financial system, Nigeria also has a certain type of reputation and you know what I'm talking about. So, so those certain moments when you miss or you aren't able to, your identity isn't able to get you through, it reaffirms those sort of senses of like where I'm
0: from is actually an inhibitor to like getting further along. And that's why I wanted to ask the question, because when there's a gross generalization or reputation out there, it too can become an inhibitor. But it did not for you. You kept moving, Erica. So we let's keep going in the story. So 20, mm. 2015, you, you moved to Nigeria. 2017, you came back. You were exposed to this by your girls, in which I love, I love, I love that we are sharing information with each other and that it creates an opportunity for us, which is what we should be doing. So now you tried to get in. You couldn't. Let's keep going.
2: So I couldn't get in. Shout out to my girl, Kelsey, who put me on to ether. Um, I couldn't get in, but I was still obsessed. And at this point, then the, the crash happened. So I was like, okay, maybe I didn't miss anything. Anywho, 2018 was an interesting period. I decided to leave LinkedIn and go on a journey around the world. But I actually had enough savings to last me a year without taking a new job. When I traveled around the world, I got a chance to really see in action how money is moving from the market level, you know, a woman selling tomatoes, all the way to the Ministry of Finance in Singapore. I just got so much exposure to the different ways that countries are moving money with each other. Businesses are moving monies with governments. Governments are moving monies with everyday people. Everyday people are moving money with each other. And that started to really show me how the global economy works and where there are holes.
0: Wow. The fact that you were very intentional about saving your money to create opportunity, flexibility for yourself while you had the W-2 lined up uh, at, at LinkedIn. And that gave you the opportunity then to travel and learn for an entire year and to figure out how to create on this emerging technology, which you learn more and more about every time you took a new stop on this on this almost year long trip. Good playbook point. So let me go back for a second. You said that traveling around the world, you were able to see how money actually flowed from the woman who was selling tomatoes all the way to the Minister of Finance in Singapore and any other country. And you were able to see the gaps and the inefficiencies. Can you point out two or three of those gaps and inefficiencies that you believe crypto actually serves or closes those gaps?
2: Yes. So one of them is uh, trust. And when you're trying to do business in your own culture, in your own country, it's one thing. But when you're trying to do business with a place you've never been to, business details of other places can be hard to access. The beauty of crypto is that there's an opportunity there to say, we're using a currency that we both believe in and understand. We can explore doing commerce with each other now. We can um, minimize the fees that are associated with our transactions between us because we don't have to deal with the banks that then kind of create the complications sometimes in the trust factor. So truthfully, when you're able to remove the middlemen that frankly do provide essential sort of vetting of business activities and capital flows, very essential. But in cases when you really do need to start building trust, it is helpful to be able to say directly, let's do business without all of the intermediaries preventing the potential around where you can grow and explore
1: together.
0: You just brought up a great point. I wanted to ask you, but how do you replace the role that a bank does provide, to, you know, by your own admission, because it is an institution and a bank is a bank is a bank. No matter where you are in the world with a bank, there is a level of assumed trust that may not happen between you and I just because we're using the same currency. I get it loud and clear that a pound and a dollar may may be different and that creates some confusion. But if we're both using Ethereum, then that that's fine. All right. So there's no exchange rate. There's no extra fees. There's nothing. So we can trust each other. But I still don't know who you are and I don't know who the bank is, but I trust the bank as an institution because it's governed by laws. So where is that piece in the whole exchange with Ethereum?
2: I would say let's then take that next explanation to a individual, regular, everyday person level. And I'm someone who since birth has always had to send money to another country. And so... When we go to certain platforms like Western Union and MoneyGram, we know if I wanted to send $100 today to Nigeria, I might, between $10 and $25 might be taken by that intermediary in order to send money. And so the beauty of being able to say, I don't need an intermediary to make a simple transaction that's essential for my life, that is essential for me to be able to say, my grandmother is going to have an extra $100 this month and that $100, Goes further in a place like Nigeria than it does where I'm at. And now the fact that my grandmother doesn't have to travel three hours to a nearby city to go pick up the money from a teller, like all of these different things, because I can just zap it to my grandmother, for example, that gives me a greater sense of this tool actually serves me, doesn't take as much of my money, and enables me to connect and add the true value I desire with my family that I can't touch and feel.
0: Yes, understood. Just so that we can get on the same page and then we'll move forward, I promise, that while it creates an opportunity for greater transfer country to country, person to person, because it's a common currency, but that's with us knowing each other, you concede the point that if I don't know you, that the trust that a bank might provide with us doing business through that institution May not be replicated in the same way if we were just and we didn 't know each other and we were exchanging this currency
2: right, so let me just add on that last layer of connectivity i 'll do my best so the The beautiful thing about uh, various blockchains so Bitcoin is a blockchain it is coded technology. Ethereum is another one. There are many others, Solana, Near, Tezos. There's so many, right? And at the end of the day, these create the infrastructure and the railroad tracks for various people to build technologies, some of which are monetary, some of which are just enabling logistics businesses to do things more effectively, et cetera. So there's multiple use cases around blockchains and cryptocurrencies beyond just money transfer, Just for clarity's sake, but because one entity or person in one place really believes in the value that a particular blockchain and protocol is providing it, it enables this sense of like this ecosystem, this community, all users of this particular technology have consistently by design of the technology done right by me. And so, if another entity that I learn is also enabled, powered by this same technology that I also trust and have uh, generated some consistency with, this trust and safety associated typically with the bank as an intermediary to uh, enable for ease of doing business is now attributed to the blockchain itself because of the embedded technology that is to ensure for peace and cohesion that now builds consistency, momentum, and brand. So all in all, the same experience that a bank provides is what mass, community and consistency of these various blockchains has now enabled for more people.
0: So now that you have seen this around the world, how do you think the understanding of crypto and blockchain in the U.S., what do you think it is and how does it compare to that knowledge, understanding, use in other countries?
2: So the thing is, we forget that the U.S. has had, you know, 400 years to build its financial system and, you know, with the support of many different communities, many different people, populations, et cetera. So as a result, things generally work. Things generally are pretty cohesive, but if you go to other countries where things have been volatile for decades, currencies have gone up and down for a while, you might even have signs of challenged economies by uh, people leaving those countries and coming to the United States, those are all signs of volatility in a local market, whereby if if you, Carla, are operating on something that is pegged to the dollar and I'm operating on something that's pegged to my currency that keeps devaluing every day, I'm at a disadvantage in being able to really move forward However, if I can access, in this case, the dollar, or if I can access Bitcoin, if I can access Ethereum, which everyone around the world is operating on the same price point, is operating on the same functionality, we all know it's gonna go up together, it's gonna go down together. There isn't this big disconnect because of a different fiat currency. It enables people in emerging markets to at the very least try and play on the same field.
0: So talk to us a little bit about the crypto for Black economic empowerment. The United States right now is in this
2: stage of seeing this new technology come to be. And the beautiful thing about it is everybody else around the world gets to participate at the same time. Because everyone could be on the same page. It's not, the U.S. has access to it it first and then that company expands to Europe three years later and then gets to Africa 15 years later. The new generation of the internet is being built right now by people from all over the world. And we said, we don't want black people to be left out. We have missed out on wealth creation opportunities despite creating a lot of the wealth for most of the wealth creation opportunities for centuries.
0: Oh, that's, that's another podcast. Keep going.
2: <laughs> and so we said, this is not the time. We are not only going to be visible, this space is, is predominantly non-Black. And so we said, we're, we're going to make sure that if we are here, we are early adopters, we know each other, so we're not feeling alone. Right now, this conversation is a part of history that we will look back 30 years from now and be like, yo, that crypto thing, that blockchain thing really ended up changing the world. Like, that's the moment right now. We wanted to make sure Black people felt like there was a place for them to continue to explore that and be in in community with each other so they they knew they weren't alone. And we also knew that we wanted our own collective power our collective effort for ownership and advancement of our community could be compounded on top of each other by simply having proximity virtually. And we knew that the things that we can do together could be bigger than what we could do alone.
0: Yes. So, Khan, talk to us a little bit about the biggest misconception that, that you see out there from all the conversations that you've had about cryptocurrency the
2: misconceptions predominantly lie i think in the political and, uh, arena and category there is a misconception that you know crypto is mostly a place for money laundering you know scamming and and all these other sorts of things which you know full transparency there is some of that activity in this in this arena but More than anything, we're investing in companies to make money flow more effectively, to make people have greater opportunities and access related to their consumption of culture and just general use of the internet. I think right now is a unique time in which multiple institutions are opening their eyes. And I could imagine institutions may be concerned about, hey, we don't want everyone else making money and sort of uh, moving us out. Essentially, they're saying we have to either jump in or stay on the sidelines, but at some point we're going to need to do something. And it's been really great to see um, various institutions are excited about investing.
0: It's a matter of really when. Yes. Well said. I'm going to put a period right there and move right to the to the lightning round. This is an opportunity for our listeners to know the woman, not just the cryptocurrency specialist, not just the entrepreneur, the head of this amazing community, the head of the Audacity Fund. So you have experience as a jazz musician. uh, So I'm going to ask you to flow and think on your feet with a series of these questions. So uh, are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. City or countryside? Ooh, countryside. Winter or summer? Summer. Coffee or tea? Water. (laughs) Working in the office or working from home? Working on the beach. Ah, okay. What's your personal mantra? Ooh, if you're not shameless, you're not serious. Oh, I like that. If you had a talk show... Who would you want to be your first guest? Wow. I'm going to say it would be Aaliyah. Aaliyah,
2: the R&B singer. Aaliyah is one of my biggest influences. And so I would sit and chat with Aaliyah and we'd talk music and we talk about how we turn all of her, her legacy into NFTs. And we'd talk about how we make her legacy culturally relevant in the internet and forever into perpetuity. we talk about getting her royalties, okay. all those amazing things.
0: Wow. Yeah. One word to describe your legacy.
2: Audacious.
0: You know, I would have said sharing. Because you have shared some amazing information in a very selfless way today, Erican and and access and opportunity says thank you.
2: And I would like to just take this brief PSA moment to say, Carla Harris, we thank you because it was seeing you when I was working at LinkedIn, having a conversation with Dan Roth, you know, when you came to the studio that let me know, you know what? I can jump in this game. We can do this. We can do this. Amen. So yes, say, you can. Yes, yes, you can. Representation matters. Thank you, Carla. We appreciate you. Thanks, Morgan Stanley. Y'all are amazing. All
0: All right, Evette. See you later. Take care. I want to thank our guests, Lauren Washington and Eric Oboteku though for joining me on this episode of Access and Opportunity. Hearing both of their stories, I'm so impressed by how proactive these two ladies are. They both went out of their way to find a community that could demystify crypto for them so that they wouldn't be left behind. And now they get a say in how this new financial landscape is built. So often here on Access and Opportunity, we're looking at ways to change our current systems to make them more equitable. It's exciting to be looking ahead this time around. This moment in time certainly isn't lost on me, and I tip my hat to Lauren and Ericon for being trailblazers in this space. I am very excited to keep this conversation going. So what did you learn today from Lauren and Ericon? Send us your thoughts at carlapod at morganstanley.com. We would love to hear from you. Subscribe to access an opportunity on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks for coming along.